You study my traveling and resting. You are thoroughly familiar with all my ways. There isn't a word on my tongue, Lord, that you don't already know completely. You surround me front and back. You put your hand on me. That kind of knowledge is too much for me. It's a lie above me that I can't reach it. Where could I go to get away from <clears throat> your spirit? Where could I go to escape your presence? If I went up to heaven, you would be there. If I went down to the grave, you would be there too. If I could fly on the wings of dawn, stopping the rest on, to rest on, only on the far side of the ocean, even there your hand would guide me. Even there your strong hand would hold me tight. If I said, the darkness will definitely hide me, the light will become night around me. Even then, the darkness isn't too dark for you. Nighttime would shine bright as day because darkness is the same as light to you. You are the one who created my innermost parts. You knit me together while I was still in my mother's womb. I give thanks to you that it was marvelously set apart. Your works are wonderful. I know that very well. My bones weren't hidden from you. When I was being put together in a secret place, when I was being woven together in the deep parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my embryo, and on your scroll every day was written that was being formed for me before any one of them had yet happened. God, your plans are incomprehensible to me. Their, number, their total number is countless. If I try to count them, they outnumber grains of sand. If I came to the very end, I'd still be with you. I invite you to pray with me as we approach God's word this morning. God, here we are. We take this moment of silence right now to lay out before you all of the whole and the broken pieces. We offer the whole of ourselves and the whole of our lives to you as an acceptable and pleasing offering. Speak and work by the power of your spirit this morning so that we can offer ourselves to you more truly. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we at Trinity have been in the midst of a conversation over the last couple weeks about how God connects to areas of our life that we don't often talk about in church. So a couple weeks ago, we talked about our work life. Uh, last week, we talked about our play, our leisure part of our lives. And this morning, I want to have a conversation about our bodies. Now, I feel keenly aware approaching this topic that when we talk about the body and our relationship to us, most of us are starting off here today from a place of what I would call conflict. Now, the nature of the conflict might be different for each one of us. 
Um, we live in a culture that has a, a huge kind of focus around the body on desirability. So, so may, maybe our experience in the body has been an experience of being overlooked, an experience of being kind of feeling or being perceived as inadequate. Um, maybe we have this whole kind of expensive skincare treatment, trying to fight the first signs of aging because we think that's the only way we're going to save our marriage. Or maybe we're on the other side of that desirability conversation, and our experience of the body has been a lot of experience of being objectified, actually meeting the cultural standard, but experiencing harassment for that. Maybe there's a lot of shame attached to this conversation if that's where we begin. Maybe some of us have been like stereotyped in the body for the color of our skin or from some other attribute, and we've spent a lot of time fantasizing in our head about how different our life would be if we had different skin or if we had a different body. Maybe some of us have most of our life, like a huge amount of energy has just been taken up by the war against weight that just kind of drags and drags every day on our attention. Maybe our, our struggle is this body really wants something. There's this deep desire that's just kind of ripping on us that we know if we gave into that des- desire would destroy a lot of what's good in our life, but we're constantly struggling internally against it. Or maybe you're one of those people here today that feels like you've been betrayed by your body. It was supposed to work a certain way, and it's not. Like may- Maybe you feel trapped in some way by the limits of your body, like you can't be the person you want to be because your body won't allow it. If we're really honest about our relationship with the body, I would say for most of us, most of the time, that relationship feels fundamentally like a battle. It's us here, it's the body there, there's this kind of struggle going on. And so the question I kind of bring into this conversation as I think about where all of us begin from is that if God is reconciling all things in Jesus, if God is into healing the world and bringing all things back together, what would it mean for us to make peace and live at peace with our body? Like, what, what does that part of the story actually look like? I think if we're going to ask that question, we kind of have to go back at the beginning and start at a really basic level with just asking, like, what kind of relationship is it we have with this vessel called the body? Um, We've been coming a lot in this series back to the beginning of Genesis because the start of Genesis tells us a lot about, like, what is the design? What what is God's program for life? In Genesis 2-7, this is the image we get of human beings created. The Lord God formed the human from the topsoil of the fertile land and blew life's breath into his nostrils, and the human came to life. Now, what's interesting to me is how different this image of what a human being is is from the ways that most of us in at least our Western kind of culture talk about being human. When we talk about me, like who I am, me as a person, like in Western culture, we usually mean this kind of intangible soul spirit thing that constitutes me. And we, we talk about having a body. I, I have a body sort of like I have a car. Like it, it might be a clunker, it might be a hot rod, but it, it's something that I, that this intangible me possesses. And someday, probably, I'll, I'll shed that body like a kind of snakeskin, and then I'll fly off and I'll be free to be the, the real me, unconstrained. Right? That, that's the kind of cultural language we get around this. 
Um, but the thing is, that, that kind of way of thinking about the body actually comes directly from Greek philosophy, which has influenced our culture a lot. In ancient Greek philosophy, the body was bad. It was that thing constraining your pure, good, holy soul. Right? So the body was the thing to get rid of. The soul was the thing to keep. And most of that, that kind of Greek philosophic thinking has gotten so deep into our culture, we take it for granted. But what's really interesting is that Christ, not only does Christianity disagree with that view, science disagrees with that view. Um, one of the things that we are learning through science is actually, I mean, this is stating the obvious, but everything we know about the world, we know through contact with the body. Emotions, you know, we, t we tend to associate our strong emotions with that deep kind of intangible inner me, but emotions are physical, they're biological responses to something. I was just listening this past week to a science program talking about a recent study of people with brain injuries, that one of the things that we're learning through a lot of our MRI technology is that people who are living in an intense fear of something, when they scan their brains, if, if they're experiencing this like intense fear of being attacked or being wounded, their brain ends up showing the same damage that they would have experienced if they'd actually been attacked and wounded. Under a brain scanner, you can't tell the difference between the fear and the actual reality. And I find that fascinating because that's in total agreement with what Christianity has always said about humans. Humans don't have bodies. We are spirit and body. But we are this integrated two-part system combination. There's no like one good part and one bad part. Body and soul are one thing that impact each other. They were both made good. They both have a problem right now that is turning them against each other. They're affecting each other in different ways. But the, the battle is, has never been me versus my body. The, the battle is me, body, soul, this whole integrated being that God created, against all of these forces at work in creation that are trying to destroy and divide body and soul. I mean, this is how the Bible describes like the, the work of evil, the work of anti-God in the world. It's trying to destroy and divide. And that force is at work in the body just like it's at work in everything. And the, the Apostle Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament in the Bible, um, he writes quite a bit about this subject of the body. And what's kind of interesting to keep in mind when you hear what Paul has to say about this is we know a couple of things about Paul personally. Um, Paul actually tells us in one of his letters, he has what he calls a thorn in the flesh, uh, which is his way of referring kind of generally to some kind of severe physical ailment that he's been living with for a long time that Paul sees as negatively impacting his ability to do ministry, to do his calling. I mean, people have speculated for hundreds of years about like what was it that went wrong for Paul? There are all sorts of theories, but what we know is it's something physical and it seems to be negatively impacting his calling. We also know that Paul was beat up. He was, he was whipped. He was left for dead multiple times. Paul had a body that was covered in scars and wounds. Like he was not a person in great physical shape as he traveled throughout the world. So keep that in mind as you listen to what Paul writes in one of his letters to a community in the city of Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul writes, We know that if the tent we live in on earth is torn down, we have a building from God. It's a house that isn't handmade, which is eternal and located in heaven. 
We groan while we live in this residence. We, want to, we really want to dress ourselves with our building from heaven. Since we assume that when we take off this tent, we won't find out that we are naked. Yes, while we are in this tent, we groan because we're weighed down. We want to be dressed, not undressed, so that what is dying can be swallowed up by life. Now, the one who prepared us for this very thing is God, and God gave us the Spirit as a down payment for our home. So here's Paul's description of the bodily experience. Your body is sort of like a tent that isn't all that sturdy. Get a little bit of a storm and a tent starts breaking down in its basic parts pretty quickly. And Paul says, for that reason, we groan in it, right? We don't like when the tent is dripping on our head. But the, the solution, Paul says, is not to be naked, which is Paul's way of saying bodiless. Like if you have a problem with the body, the, pro- the answer to the problem isn't to get rid of the body, it's to have a better building, a better body. Now, I think if you start from a position where if you are a person who's experienced a lot of conflict within your own body, maybe that doesn't sound like good news at first. The Paul's like, hey, you got a problem with this one? Let me give you another one, and maybe you can hope it works out better. But when we get really po- focused on like, the struggle and the pain and the turmoil, what we actually lose track of is that not only is everything bad you've experienced in the body, but everything good you've also experienced has been in the body. And I want to try a little exercise here. I want to invite you to just shut your eyes for a minute. And use your imagination to picture some things. Think about the taste of coffee in the morning. The feel of soft sheets under you on Saturday. A cool breeze on your skin. the smell of Arizona citrus, the sound of rain on the roof, the feeling of air under your feet when you jump on a trampoline, that touch from someone special that feels like being electrocuted. Muscles that are sore from building a house for someone. The first bite of steak when the butter just melted through it. The feeling of a toddler's arms around your neck or a baby in your arms. can open your eyes. These things are not less good because they are material. That's paganism. Paganism says spiritual things are more good than material things. Christianity says all those things you just pictured, they are fundamentally good. You are designed for them. In the story of Jesus, after Jesus dies and is resurrected, one of the first times the disciples see Jesus, he's cooking breakfast. He's eating it. I mean, he's making fish for breakfast, so that's kind of weird, but to each his own. I mean, the, the direction of God's work in the world is not toward less materiality. 
The direction of God's work is not toward less embodiment. The direction of God's work in the world is toward making everything more of what it is already. Not less of what it is, but more of what it is. The direction of God's work in the world is spirit and body reuniting and finally living in real harmony. So there's two really pieces of good news for, for people who are conflicted about their body. Number one, the direction of, the, of God's work is toward reintegration, which means God is on a mission of healing everything that is broken in body and spirit, and there is a version 2.0 of this thing we have going on that's coming soon. And the tent you have now might leak in a storm, but the building that's coming won't. I mean, after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus is eating breakfast. He's there. He has a body. But it takes people, even people who know him, a minute to recognize him. He has a body, but something is different about this body. I don't know about any of the rest of you, but sometimes I watch an NBA game. Have you ever watched an NBA player dunk? And you're like, are they just like built with a fundamentally different thing than what I have? I mean, they're just like flying up there through the air. Like, their experience of the body must be so different than mine. I mean, think about that, but like exponentially more so. There is a version of the body that is still a body, but that works, that is strong, that is whole in fundamental ways that none of us have ever experienced, and that's what's coming. I mean, Paul describes it this way in one of his earlier letters, 1 Corinthians. He says, it's the same with the resurrection of the dead. A rotting body is put into the ground, but what is raised won't ever decay. And I love this next description. It's degraded when it's put into the ground, but it's raised up in glory. It's weak when it's put into the ground, but it's raised up in power. It, it, this body, what's coming out, is more than what went in. It's a, it's a version 2.0. It's something new and better. But the, the, the only good news is not just like th- that there's a version of us coming that is more whole and that is stronger, more able, um, but also for those of us whose struggle is more with the appearance of the body. Let me, let me say a couple words on this because I think there's good news here too. Um, the, the problem for humans with appearance today is a problem of misalignment. The inside and the outside of who we are get misaligned and people get fooled right? There's a lot of people, beautiful faces who aren't looking so good underneath. There are a lot of really beautiful people whose faces may not match. And 1 Samuel 16 famously takes on this problem of misalignment and appearance, um, where God tells Samuel in the search for a king, God says, have no regard for his appearance or stature because I haven't selected him, speaking of this particular person who looks like a king. God doesn't look at things like humans do. Humans see only what is visible to the eye, but the Lord sees into the heart. So God is making a statement here, like God is never going to be fooled by misalignment between inside and outside. That that doesn't fool God. God sees people as they are, not as they appear. Now, one of the promises the New Testament makes in the the book of 1 John, we receive this promise that one of the things that's going to happen in the future is our vision is going to be cleared, and we are going to see Jesus as he is. Right? Like now everything looks a little foggy, but someday the vision will clear and we'll see him as he is. And I think we have every reason to believe on the basis of the New Testament. It's not just Jesus we're going to see as he is. It's ourselves and everybody else. 
Um, because what's going to happen in the future is deception is going to be over. We're, we're not going to be able to lie and fool each other. We're going to lose our desire to do that. I mean, appearances will no longer be deceiving. We will look around, and what we will see now is not that mismatch between inner and outer. We will see each other as we are, in truth. Now, I don't know where that thought takes your brain, but I, I spend a lot of time meditating on that because I think to myself, you know, a lot of us put a lot of time and expense into looking good right now, as much as we can. Wouldn't it be worth our time to do at least as much work making sure that the inward looks good so that we won't be ashamed when we are seen and known in the truth of what we are? Right? Sometimes the New Testament makes some references to, in some of the letters Paul talks to the women in particular about, like, don't worry about your jewelry and your clothes. And the point is not that jewelry and clothes are terrible things. Paul's point is, like, make sure that the work you're doing is primarily focused on being shaped as the person you, you want to be the truth of you, because some, someday that's what everyone is going to see and know. So I hope that strikes you as good news. That strikes me as really good news. Like, I can't wait to see people as people are. But maybe you've listened to all this and what you're thinking to yourself is like, all that's great, but all that is future. What about right now? Like, I still have to live in this conflicted, broken body. And when we think about living in this body right now, it's really easy to get hung up on all the things we don't like whether it's gender or race or ability or age or shape. But we, we think to ourselves about the things that would be different, like if, if we had a different body, we'd have more to offer. If I was stronger, if I was taller, if I was younger, if I was lighter, if I was more male, if I was less frail, then I would have more to offer. Like I'd, I'd almost guarantee that every person in this room has had a version of one of those thoughts at some point. Now, I know when I first began to feel the call to preach, like I got very hung up on my female body as something that could be nothing but an obstacle to anybody for the rest of my career. Right? And, and so I got in the habit of praying this prayer over and over. I, I would pray this prayer and I would imagine my body being completely invisible. And I would pray, like, God, please let my community see straight through me so they can see you. I prayed that prayer for years before it began to hit me that that was not the best kind of prayer. And Paul writes in, in 2 Corinthians 4, he says this, We have this treasure in clay pots, that's our bodies, so that the awesome power belongs to God and doesn't come from us. A little bit further down, we always carry Jesus' death around in our bodies so that Jesus' life can also be seen in our bodies. He says something similar in Philippians 1, verse 20. He says, It's my expectation and hope that I won't be put to shame in anything, but rather I hope with daring courage that Christ's greatness will be seen in my body. Now as always, whether I live or I die. In my body. Christians worship a God who has supremely been revealed to the world in a human body. Not in a mountain, not in a cloud, not in some giant thunderstorm, in a human body. 
And more than that, we worship a God who has revealed himself in the world first and foremost, centrally, in a body that suffered and died. The revelation of God to the world was never clearer than in that moment when Jesus was experiencing the weakness of the body, suffering and dying. This is what Paul knows. That's how God is revealed. The Old Testament has all these laws about idolatry that forbids the people from making images of God. And what a lot of people miss about the, this Old Testament prohibition against making images, making idols of God, is that the point of not making an image in an idol is there is a legitimate authorized image and idol of God in creation, and that is living human beings. Nobody's supposed to make any other kind of image because we, the living, embodied, bodied humans, we are the image, we are the icon, we are the place that God has been revealed. Your body is one of the places God is being revealed to creation. Your body is one of the words that God is speaking to the world. Not, not another body, not a better body, not a stronger body, not a more whole body, your body. Your male body, your female body, your young body, your old body, your body that functions great right now, your body that is struggling, whatever kind of body you're, you have is a revelation of God to the world. It was a total revolution in my relationship with my body when I stopped praying, God, let people see through me and started praying, God, let people see you in me. In, in this broken vessel as it is, let people see you. When that becomes my prayer, the whole relationship to the body shifts because what I'm asking now is how do I inhabit this body, this broken vessel, so that God is glorified and honored and known through it? How do I inhabit this body so that when people see me, they see the shape of Jesus? I mean, understanding the purpose of the body that way I think it not only allows us to inhabit it differently, but it also gives us a different level of confidence in God's care for this body as it is. There's this really touching story in Mark chapter 14, um, just before Jesus dies. He's at this meal, and this woman comes in, and she dumps this really expensive perfume on his head and ignites this huge controversy in the room of all these holy people who are like, what a waste of expensive perfume. You could have, you could have sold that and used the money to do something useful. And Jesus has this really kind of fierce response. And this is what Jesus says in Mark 14. He says, leave her alone. Why do you make trouble for her? She has done a good thing for me keep going. She's done what she could. She has anointed my body ahead of time for burial. I tell you the truth that wherever in the whole world the good news is announced, what she, will be done, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Have you under, ever wondered why such lavish praise, why such an intense emotional response from Jesus? I mean, Jesus is truly human, and he knows he is about to walk into a painful, lonely, humiliating death. 
And right here, this is the one moment in the story of Jesus' death when somebody truly enters that space and enters his experience and puts their hands on his body and shares that experience with him. His body is touched and cared for. She offers something none of us can do for ourselves in our human bodies. Care for ourselves in the moment in the time of our death. And I think it is so profound that this has deep meaning for Jesus. This is profoundly meaningful for him. Jesus has taken his nail-scarred body into the presence of God. He hasn't forgotten what it feels like to be hungry or to be lonely or to be in pain or to be afraid or to long for a kind touch on his body. He remembers what it is to be embodied human because he is still in a body. He cares for us body and spirit together. The needs, the pains that we bring are not beneath his notice or concern. They're important to him. Now, all of us have body histories, all of us have body stories that have brought us to where we are at this moment. Now, I think what we need is not just like an intellectual change in how we're relating to them. What most of us need is an actual healing in our relationship with our body. A kind of healing reunion moment of bringing body and spirit back together. So as we close today, I've invited Scott to lead us in a time of healing prayer over our bodies. As we invite the work of God to do that kind of work of reintegrating and putting things back together. Let's prepare to pray together. As we begin, I'd like you to close your eyes, please. Take a deep breath in and hold it for a moment, then let it out. I'd like you to do that again and really feel the sensation of the air filling your lungs and then the air leaving. Our bodies are not a separate thing to us. They are not something that we own. They are us. We are not spirits with bodies. We are not bodies with spirits. We are spirits and bodies united by God to be something more than either. I invite you now to place your hands, with your eyes still closed, to place your hands on your head. To feel this space. For many of us, we would believe that this is the center of our world here. Right here, where our brain sits, we construct our thoughts that frame our emotions. They, say, they set a reference for our world. They make sense of the things we see, feel, and hear. God, we ask that you would bless our thoughts, our ideas, our constructs. 
May they honor your kingdom and your life. May the time we spend between these hands be a time worthy of your kingdom. May this space be yours. I invite you now to bring your arms, your hands across your chest and hold your arms. Whether weak or strong, this part of our body takes action. They lift food and paperwork and children and TV remotes. Through the work of human hands, amazing wonders have been created and terrible tragedies have been unleashed. Your arms, your fingers, your hands, they were created by God for good to do good, to show the world what Jesus' kingdom looks like. Your arms can inflict pain and can bring embrace. Whether strong or weak, you are more powerful in these arms than you probably realize. I invite you now to move your hands to your legs. Your legs, not the legs that, that you own, not the legs that work for you, not the legs that don't work for you, not the legs you hate, just your legs. Just you. The power of human movement gifted to us by our Creator is too often disrupted by the brokenness of this world. But these legs, they are a reminder that we are created in the image of a God who moves. God, we ask that you would bless our legs. May we be reminded of your ability to move even when we can't. And when we can, may we be reminded of the power you've given us. May we be reminded that we are called not to sit still, but to be your movement in the world. I invite you to move your hands to your abdomen. Filled with various organs and holding various purposes, anxieties, and passions, in here, energy is transformed by our bodies to be available to us. And many of our fears 
and strengths are found here as well. Our stomachs can, can be in knots. We can follow our guts and we can feel it to our core. This space sometimes feels like it is pure power and pure frustration. This is also the center of human life. Every one of us began our lives right here. Growing by God's grace in a womb, we are people formed already dependent on the bellies of others. And yet this is also a center of great discomfort. A place on our own bodies we haven't always loved. Yet God saw fit to bring life right here. May we remember the beauty that God sees in the center of us. I invite you to move your hand to your chest. And in here we find our heart and our lungs, the place where we can feel breath move in and out, where the rhythm of our very life is found. Historically, We've often thought of our heart as a center of goodness and passion. We know that in people's hearts rest wickedness as well. That there is a pull back and forth within our very souls of who we can be. And yet, though that tension remains, the beat keeps going. Even when we have given up on ourselves or the places within us where we think we cannot be changed, your heart beat right now shows that God has not given up and that life exists here because that rhythm, that back and forth movement shows that God still pulls, that grace is still moving with every bump, bump, of your heart is a sign of God's love and trust that something more is possible. I invite you to put your hands back on your legs, but with palms up. Our body is created by God for good, and yet we too often focus on what's wrong with it. We know that our minds are imperfect. We don't give the same mistreatment to them as we do to our own bodies. We know that we are not quite there yet. But we also know that the very God that loves our souls the very God who created us in God's very image loves our bodies. Beyond what we could do or create in ourselves when we were just dust, 
God breathed into us. Your life is a recognition that your body and your soul are something God wants and loves. So we offer those back to you, God. When we only see ugliness or fear, when we only see uncertainty, when we lack hope, when we are broken, we proclaim that our trust remains in you and we know that you don't make broken things. Though they exist, you made them for good. You make beautiful things and we will remind ourselves every day that that is the purpose you have created us to. That you make beautiful things. 